Hello again, this is Bob Mallon with Audio Information Network News of Military Happenings in Colorado. I'm, today is a sunny day, early fall, uh, 8.22 to be exact. I'm saying that in case some of these articles we'll go over are time-dated. <clears throat> Let's get started. Now here's an article from our favorite website, military.com military news. It's entitled, A Research Team Hopes to Get Every Sailor to Wear a Sleep Tracker, and They Have Big Plans for the Data. Posted 21 August 2021, military.com, by Constantine Tropin. The Naval Health Research Center is getting sailors to wear devices that track their sleep hoping to get a better understanding of how lack of sleep affects performance and crew endurance, while giving commanders hard data on sailors' sleep patterns. The research comes on the heels of two separate deadly ship collisions in 2017. The Arleigh Burke-class destroyer Fitzgerald collided with a cargo ship off Japan in June of that year, in an incident that killed seven sailors. Two months later, the destroyer McCain collided with an oil tanker off Singapore, killing ten. The Navy's investigation into the incident revealed that sleep deprivation played a major contributing role. The severe, the cert make that the service currently is using two kinds of wearable devices a ring, and a watch to collect sleep data on the crews of selected ships over short periods of time. The devices collect data on the wearer's movements, heart rate, body temperature, and a few other factors. We've been out twice with the crew of the USS Essex, the USS Fitzgerald, the USS Higgins, and most recently, yesterday, we enrolled the blue team from the USS Manchester, said Dr. Rachel Mackwald, one of the researchers behind the effort. Mackwald said her first trip out with the Essex lasted 15 days. Each time we go out, we're advancing just a little bit, she added. All of the ships are home ported in San Diego. Dr. Dale Russell, another researcher involved in the study, said that the goal is to understand several different types of ships. Sleep on a small LCS is a lot different than sleeping on a countermine ship, as opposed to doing it on an aircraft carrier, Russell said. Both Russell and Markwald said that the response from sailors and commanders has been positive. However, Markwald noted that getting buy-in and use from the sailor has been tricky. They needed to know the why behind it, that this isn't just about accountability, she said. Despite the lofty goals for the project, several issues must be addressed before the wearables are ready for the fleet. Markwald noted that the team is working with the Naval Information Warfare Center 
to overcome cybersecurity issues. Peter Singer, a senior fellow at the think tank New America and an expert on cybersecurity and cyber warfare, explained that any additional devices on a network increases vulnerabilities. There is also the concern that many of the connected devices weren't designed with security in mind, he wrote in an email to military.com. Singer added that he was fairly certain the key folks in the Navy are more than aware of these risks. It's unclear at the moment whether personal data gathered by a sailor's wearable device would become part of their medical record. There's a line we haven't crossed yet, but we've been talking about that, Russell said. If the data does end up following sailors throughout their careers, it could have wide-ranging implications from how sailors are diagnosed and treated to how disability claims are decided. Russell stressed that another goal of the effort is to provide more reliable data. Previously, the Navy has relied on sailors' self-reporting sleep figures, a practice that Russell and Markwald admit can lead to errors. In fact, after the 2017 collisions, then-Secretary of the Navy Richard V. Spencer questioned whether reports of how much work sailors were being asked to do were indeed accurate. The 100-hour work week was a self-reporting study that was done that has very little science to it, Spencer told reporters in 2017. Right now, despite assurances from commanders that they are talking natural sleep cycle changes seriously, deficits and defects remain. Russell said their data shows that sailors are getting about five and a half hours of sleep a night across all ships, but he was quick to add that each ship has its own reality. We're going to try to move that closer to the seven and a half hours we're mandated, Russell said. Following the two collisions, the Navy took steps to improve watchstanders' sleep, including the implementation of a policy aimed at making sleep schedules more consistent with fewer interruptions. Maxwell hopes that the data will give leaders on ships the opportunity to intervene. You can't imagine what we're doing and what we're not monitoring, she said. The next article from Military.com U.S. Helios pick up Kabul evacuees. Biden focuses on rescues. Posted 20 August 2021 by Zeke Miller, Ellen Kickmeyer, and Robert Burns, and Matthew Lee. Dateline Washington. U.S. military helicopters flew into Taliban-held Kabul on Friday to scoop up would-be evacuees, American officials confirmed to the Associated Press, as President Joe Biden pledged firmly to bring all Americans home from Afghanistan and and Afghans who aided the war effort also.
but Biden's promises and the limited U.S. helicopter sorties beyond the concrete barriers ringing the Kabul airport came as thousands more Americans and others seeking to escape the Taliban struggled to get past crushing crowds. Taliban airport checkpoints and sometimes insurmountable U.S. bureaucracy. We will get you home, Biden promised Americans who were still in Afghanistan days after the Taliban retook control of Kabul, ending a two-decade war. His comments delivered at the White House were intended to project purpose and stability at the conclusion of a week during which images from Afghanistan's more often suggested chaos, especially at the airport. His commitment to find a way out for Afghan allies vulnerable to Taliban attacks amounted to a potentially vast expansion of Washington's promises, given the tens of thousands of Afghan translators and other helpers and their close family members seeking evacuation. We're making the same commitment to Afghan wartime helpers as to U.S. citizens, Biden said, offering the prospect of assistance to Afghans who largely have been fighting individual battles to get the documents and passage into the airport that they need to leave. He called the Afghan allies equally important in the evacuations. Biden is facing continuing criticism as videos and news reports depict pandemonium and occasional violence outside the airport. I made the decision on the timing of the U.S. withdrawal, he said, his tone firm as he declared that it was going to lead to difficult scenes, no matter when. Former President Donald Trump had said it for May in negotiations with the Taliban, but Biden extended it. Thousands of people remain to be evacuated ahead of Biden's August 31st deadline to withdraw most remaining U.S. troops. Flights were stopped for several hours on Friday because of a backup at a transit point for the refugees a U.S. airbase in Qatar, but they resumed in the afternoon, including to Bahrain. A defense official said about 5,700 people, including about 250 Americans, were flown out of Kabul aboard a C-17, make that aboard 16 C-17 transport planes, guarded by a temporary U.S. military deployment that's building up to 6,000 troops. On each of the previous two days, about 2,000 people were airlifted. Senior airmen military officials told the Associated Press that an American CH-47 Chinook helicopter picked up the Afghans, mostly women and children, and ferried them to Hamad Karzai International Airport, On Friday, U.S. Army's 3rd Brigade combat team of the 82nd Airborne Division airlifted the Afghans from Cape Sullivan near the Kabul airport. The officials say sorties like this one have been underway for days 
from various points in Kabul as Afghans seek to flee the country taken over by the Taliban intelligence teams inside Kabul. The intelligence teams are helping guide both Americans and Afghans and their families to the airport or are arranging for them to be rescued by other means. For those living in other cities and provinces outside Kabul, CIA case officers, special operations forces, and agents for the Defense Intelligence Agency on the ground are gathering some U.S. citizens and Afghan nationals who worked for the U.S. at predetermined pickup sites. The officials would not detail where these airlift sites were for security reasons. They spoke on conditions of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss ongoing operations. At a Pentagon briefing this afternoon, today is Sunday, remember, spokesman John Kirby was asked to confirm reports that U.S. helicopters had flown beyond the airport to multiple locations to pick up people, both Afghans and Americans. Kirby responded, I can't confirm those reports, not at this time. In Washington, some veterans in Congress were calling on the Biden administration to extend security perimeter beyond the Kabul airport so more Afghans could get through. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said a small number of U.S. troops did go outside the perimeter a short distance for a short amount of time to help bring in 169 people, but he gave no details. Those were Americans, Biden said. The administration has said it's not capable at current deployment levels in Kabul of bringing others to the chaos. The lawmakers also said they want Biden to make clearer that the August 31 deadline for withdrawing U.S. troops is not a firm one. The deadline is contributing to the chaos and the panic at the airport because you have Afghans who think that they can have only 10 days to get out of the country or the door is going to be closing forever, said Representative Peter Mayhor, Republican of Michigan, who served in Iraq and also worked in Afghanistan to help aid workers provide humanitarian relief. With mobs of people outside the airport and Taliban fighters ringing its perimeter, the U.S. renowned and renewed its advisory to Americans and others that it could not guarantee safe passage for any of the desperately seeking seats on the planes inside. The Taliban are regularly firing into the air to try to control the crowds sending men, women, and children running. The advisory captured some of the pandemonium and what many Afghans and foreigners see as their life and death struggle to get inside, it said. We are processing people at multiple gates. Due to large crowds and security concerns, gates may be opened or closed without notice. People use your best judgment and attempt to enter the airport at any gate that is opened. 
While Biden has previously blamed Afghans for the U.S. failure to get out more allies ahead of this month's sudden Taliban takeover, U.S. officials told the Associated Press that American diplomats had formally urged weeks ago that the administration ramp up evacuation efforts. In July, more than 20 diplomats at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul registered their concerns that the, Af- that the evacuation of Afghans who had worked for America was not proceeding quickly enough. In a cable sent through the State Department's dissent channel, a time-honored method for Foreign Service officers to register opposition to administration policies, the diplomats said the situation on the ground was dire, that the Taliban would likely seize control of the capital within months after the August 31 pullout, and urged the Biden administration to immediately begin a concerted evacuation effort. That's according to officials familiar with the documents who spoke on condition of anonymity to disclose the internal debate. Biden said Friday he had gotten a wide variety of time estimates, though all were pessimistic about the Afghan government surviving. He has said he was following the advice of Afghan's U.S.-backed president, Ashrif Ghani, in not earlier expecting U.S. efforts to fly out translators and other endangered Afghans, to not expand them because of what Ghani said. Ghani fled the country last weekend as the Taliban seized the capital. Biden has also said that many at-risk Afghan allies had not wanted to leave the country, but refugee groups point to years-long backlogs of applications from thousands of those Afghans for visas that would let them take refuge in the United States. Afghans and the Americans trying to help them also say the administration has clung to visa requirements for would-be evacuees that involve more than a dozen steps and can take years to complete. Those often have included requirements that the Taliban sweep has made dangerous or impossible, such as requiring Afghans to go to a third country to apply for a U.S. visa and produce paperwork showing their work with Americans. Here's another discouraging article from Military.com. Title is At Least 100 Naval Academy Students Cheated on a Physics Test. 18 of which have been expelled. Posted 20 August 2021 by Konstantin Toropian. The U.S. Naval Academy announced Friday that it has kicked out 18 midshipmen following an investigation into allegations of cheating during a physics exam. The Navy's Service Academy said that in December 2020, 653 midshipmen took the final exam for General Physics 1. The test was administered through the website myopenmath.com, and students were told that they were not to use outside sources or materials. However, 
After the exam, the school said it became aware of potential improper use of outside sources, including conversations on an anonymous chat platform. The superintendent immediately directed an investigation, the school said in a press release. With the help of investigators from the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, the school reviewed website browsing history during the exam time frame for all midshipmen who took the exam. All told, 105 midshipmen were found to have likely accessed unauthorized resources, breaking the school's honor code, prompting further investigation. After that review, 18 were separated, 82 were allowed to stay at the school, but were sanctioned and put into a five-month honor remediation program. Four midshipmen were cleared, and one is awaiting adjudication. The school did not disclose why some were punished more seriously than others. Despite the large number of midshipmen who were caught up in the scandal, the school said that the students all acted alone and without any coordinated efforts. Inadequate proctoring was the biggest issue in the eyes of investigators. The Naval Academy said it will now strongly encourage instructors to go back to in-person proper tests or to use monitoring software for future online exams. The school will also block websites that the faculty agrees have a potential misuse as a vehicle for academic dishonesty. The Navy is not the first service to run into issues with cheating at its academy. In December 2020, more than 70 West Point cadets allegedly were caught cheating on a math exam. And this past January, the Air Force Academy said it was investigating 249 of its cadets for allegedly cheating. Here's another Afghan-related article from Military.com. The title is Undercount, Famous C-17 Flight Filled with More Afghan Evacuees Than First Thought, Setting a Record. Posted 20 August 2021 by Stephen Losey. The Air Force said Friday that Reach 871, the six, I'm sorry, the C-17 Globemaster III flight from Afghanistan packed with evacuees in an instantly iconic photo carried 823 Afghan civilians nearly a couple of hundred more than initially reported. The Air Force at first said that 640 Afghans were on the Sunday flight, as reported by Defense One. But after the flight crew appeared on CNN, Air Mobility Command spokesman Major Hope Cronin said on Twitter that number accounted only for the adult passengers adding that there were also 183 children on board. The revised figure shows that the crew's initial reckoning of some 800 souls aboard, a number that shocked air traffic controllers, one of whom responded with holy F, when the total was estimated over the radio, it was largely accurate. 
at Mobility Command said in a statement Friday that the military originally only counted the 640 seats that were filled after the aircraft landed and the passengers boarded buses and didn't account for the children sitting in their parents' laps. Reach 871's flight shattered the C-17 previously air transportation passenger records. In 2013, the Air Force flew more than 670 people out of Manila during relief operations after a super typhoon devastated the Philippines. Defense One reported that C-17 didn't plan on transporting so many civilians, but when Afghans began to pull themselves onto its half-open ramp, the crew decided to fly filled to the brim. A defense official told that the website that the Afghans had been cleared to evacuate that were f- managed to get crushed onto the plane. Next article, again from Military.com. Man charged after allegedly sneaking onto Fort Drum to steal a Humvee, injuring a soldier. Posted 20 August 2021 by Steve Bynon. A man was arrested Thursday and accused of unlawfully entering Fort Drum in New York where he allegedly injured a soldier while stealing a Humvee, according to law enforcement. Nathan McElhone is accused of sneaking onto the base, which is home to the 10th Mountain Division, at 5 a.m. Authorities say he drove to an M4 carbine firing range and stole a Humvee. A soldier was injured after confronting him, they added. The soldier's injuries were minor and did not warrant medical attention, a spokesman with the New York State Police told Military.com. McElhone faces charges of robbery, reckless endangerment, criminal possession of stolen property, and criminal trespassing. Theft of military vehicles is relatively rare, although they do not require keys to operate and can easily be turned on with the flip of a switch. In January, a Humvee was stolen from a National Guard facility in California. Authorities quickly recovered it after it was abandoned, but the military has lost at least 1,900 weapons over the past decade, some subsequently used in crimes. McElhone was detained by a group of soldiers who turned over to Fort Drum military police. He also was found to be in possession of stolen military property, including targets for marksmanship, training, and a wooden shelf. He remains in custody at the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office without bail. The New York State Police were assisted in the investigation, by Fort Drum's military police and federal police. Here's another article from Military.com. Remember, today is Sunday, the 22nd of August. Biden planning to give an update on situation in Afghanistan. Posted 22 August 2021, Associated Press, by Robert Burns and Darlene Superville. Dateline, Washington, 
the U.S. military is considering creative ways to get Americans and others into the Kabul airport for evacuation from, from Afghanistan amid acute security threats. Biden administration officials said, and the Pentagon on Sunday ordered six U.S. commercial airlines to help move evacuees from territory sites, make that from temporary sites, outside of Afghanistan. At the one-week mark since the Taliban completed its takeover of the country, the U.S. directed airlift from Kabul continued Sunday, even as U.S. officials expressed growing concern about the threat from the Islamic State group. That worry comes on top of obstacles to the mission from the Taliban, as well as U.S. government bureaucratic problems. President Joe Biden met with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and other members of his national security team to discuss the situation in Afghanistan, the White House said, and planned to provide a public update on Afghanistan later in the day. Afghanistan will be the chief topic of discussion when Biden and leaders of the Group of Seven Industrialized Nation meet virtually on Tuesday. The threat is real, it is acute, it is persistent, and something we're focused with every tool in our arsenal, said Biden's National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Sullivan said on CNN's State of the Union that 3,900 people had been airlifted out of Kabul on U.S. military flights over the past 24 hours. A U.S. defense official speaking on condition of anonymity to provide details not yet made public said those people were flown out on a total of 23 flights, 15 by C-17 transports, and 9 aboard a C-130 cargo plane. That represents an increase of 1,600 flown out aboard U.S. military planes in the previous 24 hours, but remains far below the 5 to 9,000 that the military says it has the capacity to airlift daily. Sullivan also said about 3,900 people were airlifted on non-U.S. military flights over the past 24 hours. The Biden administration has given no firm estimate of the number of Americans seeking to leave Afghanistan. Some have put the total between 10 and 15,000. Sullivan on Sunday put it as several thousand. Speaking on ABC's This Week, Austin said that as Biden's August 31st deadline for ending the evacuation operation approaches, He will recommend whether to give it more time. Tens of thousands of Americans and others have yet to be flown out of the country. Austin's interview with ABC aired Sunday, but was taped Saturday. In a notice Sunday, the State Department urged people seeking to leave Afghanistan as part of an organized private evacuation effort not to come to the Kabul airport until you have received specific instructions to do so 
from the U.S. Embassy's flight organizer. The notice said that others, including American citizens, who have received specific instructions from the embassy to make their way to the airport, should do so, only if they have received specific instructions. Austin said the airlift would continue for as long as possible. We're going to try our very best to get everybody, every American citizen who wants to get out, out. Austin said in the interview, and we've got, we continue to look at different ways and creative ways to reach out and contact American citizens and help them get into the air field. He later said this included non-Americans who qualify for evacuation, including Afghans who have applied for special immigrant visas. Austin noted that the U.S. military on Thursday had used helicopters to move 169 Americans into the airport from the grounds of a nearby hotel in the capital. This is the only announced instance of U.S. forces going beyond the airport to get evacuees. The British military said Sunday another seven people had been killed in the unceasing crush of crowds outside the airport. The U.S. military took control of the airport for evacuations a week ago as the capital fell to the Taliban, but people gathering outside in hopes of escape have made it difficult and dangerous for foreigners and their Afghan allies to get through. Republicans in Congress stepped up their criticism of Biden's response. If the Taliban is saying that Americans can travel safely to the airport, then there is no better way to make sure they get safely to the airport than to use our military to escort them. GOP Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, an Army veteran, said on ABC's This Week program. Ryan Crocker, who served as U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan under Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama, told CBS Face the Nation that Biden's management of the withdrawal was catastrophic and had unleashed a global crisis. A central problem is the evacuation operation is processing evacuees once they reach other countries in this region and Europe. Those temporary way stations, including Qatar, Bahrain, and Germany, are sometimes reaching capacity, although new sites are being made available, including Spain. In an attempt to alleviate that and to free up military aircraft for missions from Kabul, the Pentagon on Sunday activated the Civil Reserve Air Fleet. The Defense Department said 18 aircraft from American Airlines, Atlas Air, Delta Air, Omni Air, Hawaiian Airlines, and the United Airlines will be directed to ferry evacuees from interim way stations. The airlines will not fly into Afghanistan. The six participating airlines have agreed to assist for a little less than two weeks, which roughly coincides with the currently planned duration of the airlift, which is to end August 31st. 
The Civil Airline Reserve System was last activated in 2003 for the Iraq War. The commercial airlines will retain their civilian status, but the military's Air Nobility Command will control the flights. Another article from Military.com is entitled, Veterans are Prized Recruits as Congressional Candidates. Posted 22 August 2021, Associated Press, Will Wasirat, Norfolk, Virginia is the dateline. With midterm election season rapidly approaching, Republicans and Democrats have something in common when it comes to recruiting candidates they hope will deliver majorities in Congress, a preference for military veterans. Both parties anticipate a significant number of races where veterans will be opposing each other, using their military service as a foundation of their appeal, even as they hold widely diverging views on issues. Democrats are are clinging to threadbare advantages in both the House and the Senate, so the success of these candidates could determine the balance of power. The chaotic winding down of the U.S. war effort in Afghanistan, combined with President Joe Biden's blaming his predecessor's policies for much of what occurred, could resonate with voters in ways not seen since opposition to the Iraq war helped Democrats retake the House in 2006. When the U.S. suffers a very public defeat, historically, that's the kind of thing that does become an issue in the next election, said Aubrey Jewett, a political science professor at the University of Central Florida. In few places are military matters more likely to dominate the debate than in Norfolk, Virginia, and the surrounding areas. Its swing congressional district along the Atlantic coast and home to the world's largest naval base, one in five residents are active military personnel, veterans or their relatives. Representative Elaine Loria, a Democrat, served as naval commander, including on aircraft carriers that once helped stage Afghanistan bombing runs. She defeated an incumbent Republican, Scott Taylor, a former Navy SEAL, in 2018 and again in a rematch in 2020. Veteran candidates can be seen as more willing to put country above self, which often plays best among moderate voters in swing districts without a dominant political ideology. One of the reasons you see veterans on veterans is because the thought process is that just neutralizes the advantage, Taylor said. Both parties are looking for that. This year, among those hoping to capture the Republican nomination and challenge Loria is another veteran, ex-Navy helicopter pilot Jen Kurgans, a state senator. Loria, who sits on the House Armed Services Homeland Security and Veterans Affairs Committee, said that in her district, someone who has served instantly goes into this with a level of credibility and connection. Kiggins believes that, too, understanding the nuances of military life and being a military family member, a military spouse, 
I think those are really all very important to representing the district well. There should be more of us, Kiggins, who deployed to the Middle East during her 10-year naval career said of running against a fellow female veteran in Loria. I think veterans truly understand a lot of issues that are important to the country, and we love the country. We fought for the country. We've sacrificed for the country. The number of veterans who may face other veterans for congressional seats in 2022 won't be known until after next summer's primary season. In 2020, 17 House and Senate general election races featured two candidates having military experience. According to With Honor Action, a nonpartisan organization that promotes veterans for elective office. Similar veteran against veteran races occurred 21 times two years before that. During the 2018 cycle, Democrats stressed recruiting candidates with military experience to appeal to swing voters and ultimately won the House that time. Now, candidates will be addressing issues such as the mob attack on the U.S. Capitol in January and the factious evacuation of Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, with their military backgrounds seen as giving them added credibility. Roughly two-thirds of Americans said they do not think America's longest war was worth fighting according to a poll released this past week from the Associated Press NORAC Center for Public Affairs Research. While 52% approve of Biden on national security, the poll was conducted August 12 to 16, and the two-decade war in Afghanistan with the Taliban returning to power and capitulating the capital of Kabul happened a little later. Republicans nearly took control of the House in 2020, where all 15 seats they flipped featured women, minority, or veteran candidates. Illinois Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger, an Air Force veteran, said, Serving in Afghanistan makes me believe in a cause bigger than myself, even though what's, what's occurring there now has left him very bitter. None of Kinzinger's major challenges so far is a veteran. Still, veteran-on-veteran -veteran races are taking shape around the country. Oregon Democrat Representative Peter DeFazio is his state's longest-serving member of Congress and an Air Force Reserve veteran. He's gearing up for a possible second consecutive race against Republican Alex Scarlatos, a former Army National Guardsman who, along with four others, stopped a gunman during a 2015 terrorist attack on a Paris-bound train. In suburban Houston, Democrat Matt Berg, who served in the Air Force, is hoping to unseat first-term Rep. Troy Nahals, an Army veteran who served combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. It brings a more broad-based appeal as a candidate, said Berg, who noted that the district saw about a five percentage point drop between its 2020 support for Biden and its non-veteran Democrat who ran for Congress. 
We do feel it will help us reach out to voters who felt that Nall's military background was a pivotal factor. The more... Let's make that the move into politics is not always smooth for veterans, considering that the military consistently polls as among the nation's most respected, most trusted institutions, and Congress decidedly does not so poll. Ray Bercott, a former Marine who is co-founder and CEO with Honor, said his group advises veterans considering a run that it is a hardship post. He added, it's going to be painful, but you're doing it as a service to something larger than yourself. The number of female veterans running for Congress as major party nominees has increased even more sharply from 14 in 2018 to 28 vying for seats in the House or Senate last year. Still, Seth Lynn, executive director of Veterans Campaign, a nonprofit which helps make it easier for veterans to seek public office, he said that in 20, make that in 2000, fewer than 25 House races pitting veterans against veterans featured at least one female candidate from a major party. None had two women running against each other. That makes the potential Loria Kiggins race something that hasn't happened in at least a generation. Rebecca Burgess, a founder of the advocacy group The Civ Mill Project, said she expects to see more congressional races involving matchups of female veterans, but a potentiality even more persistent is the power of example, where more female veterans in Congress mean mentors for those looking to emulate them. Loria may have forgotten a first-hand glimpse of what she has addressed a recent luncheon at Naval Station Norfolk. Naval Lieutenant Contry Janowitz posed for a picture with a congressional congresswoman and chatted about the pair's shared experiences, having both worked on ships and shipyards. Asked if she could eventually see herself following Loria's pattern into politics, Janowicz beamed before completion, before proclaiming, I can see that now. In another article from Military.com, Imbecilic is how ex-UK leader Tony Blair slams the Afghan withdrawal. Posted 22 August 2021 by Pan Pilos. Dateline London. Tony Blair, the British Prime Minister who deployed troops to Afghanistan 20 years ago after the 9-11 attacks, says... The U.S. decision to withdraw from the country has every jihadist group around the world cheering. In a lengthy essay posted on his website late Saturday, the former Labor Party leader said the sudden and chaotic pullout that allowed the Taliban to reclaim power risked undermining everything that had been achieved in Afghanistan over the past two decades including advances in living standards and the education of girls. 
The abandonment of of Afghanistan and its people is tragic, dangerous, unnecessary, not in their interests and not in our interest, said Blair, who served as prime minister during 1997 to 2007, a period that also saw him back the U.S.-led war in Iraq in 2003. The world is now uncertain of where the West stands because it is so obvious that the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan in this way was driven not by grand strategy, but by politics, he added. Blair also accused U.S. President Joe Biden of being in obedience to an imbecilic political slogan without and about ending the, the forever war. As Let me read that again. Blair also accused U.S. President Joe Biden of being in obedience to an imbecilic political slogan about ending the forever war. As if our engagement in 2021 was remotely comparable to our equipment and commitment 20 or even 10 years ago. The former Prime Minister, whose reputation in the UK took a dive from the failure to find the alleged weapons of mass destruction that were cited as justification for US coalition invasion of Iraq, said Biden has a moral obligation to stay in Afghanistan until everyone who needs to be evacuated is taken out. We must evacuate and give sanctuary to those to whom we have responsibility, those Afghans who helped us and stood by us and have a right to demand we stand by them, he said. Like other nations, Britain is trying to evacuate Afghan allies as well as its own citizens from Afghanistan. But with the U.S.-imposed August 31st deadline hovering into view, it's a race against time. In addition to the 4,000 or so U.K. citizens, the country is thought to have about 5,000 Afghan allies, such as translators and drivers, earmarked for a seat on a plane. The Ministry of Defense said Sunday that nearly 4,000 people had been evacuated so far. Blair conceded that mistakes were made over the past two decades, but added that military interventions can be noble in intent, especially when challenging on extremist threat. Today, we are in a mood which seems to regard the bringing of democracy as a utopian delusion, an intervention virtually of any sort as a fool's errand, he said. Blair also warned that the decision by the U.S. to keep Britain largely in the dark about the withdrawal risks relegating the country to the second division of global powers. However, he said the U.K. in its role as the current president of the Group of Seven Nations was in a position to help coordinate an international response to hold the new regime to account. Britain's conservative government has been working diplomatically to ensure there is no unilateral recognition of a Taliban government in Afghanistan. We need to draw up a list of incentives, sanctions, actions we can take, including to protect the civilian population 
so the Taliban understand their actions will have consequences, Blair said. Next, we have another article from Military.com. British military say seven Afghans killed in chaos at Kabul airport. Again, posted 22 August 2021. Associated Press, Ahmed Sir, Tamim Akar, and John Kimbrell. Dateline Kabul, Afghanistan. A panicked crush of people trying to enter Kabul's international airport killed seven Afghan civilians in the crowds, the British military said Sunday, showing the danger still posed to those trying to flee the Taliban's takeover of the country. The deaths came as a new perceived threat from the Islamic State group affiliate in Afghanistan had seen U.S. military planes do rapid diving combat landings at the airport, surrounded by Taliban fighters. Other aircraft have shot off flares on takeoff, an effort to confuse possible heat-seeking missiles targeting those planes. The changes come as the U.S. Embassy issued a new security warning Saturday telling citizens not to travel to the Kabul airport without individual instruction from a U.S. government representatives. Officials declined to provide more specifics about the IS threat, but but described it as significant. They said there have been no confirmed attacks as yet by the militants who have battled the Taliban in the past. On Sunday, the British military acknowledged the seven deaths of civilians in the crowds in Kabul. There have been stampedes and crushing industry make that stampedes and crushing injuries in the crowds, especially as Taliban fighters fire into the air to drive away those desperate to get on any flight out of the country. Conditions on the ground remain extremely challenging, but we are doing everything we can to manage the situation as safely and securely as possible, the Defense Ministry said in a statement. On Saturday, British and Western troops in full combat gear tried to control the crowds pressing in. They carried away some who were sweating and pale, with temperatures reaching 34 degrees Celsius, which is 93 degrees Fahrenheit. The soldiers sprayed water from a hose on those gathered or gave them bottled water to pour over their heads. Listen, sir, you need to calm down, one soldier told a man lying in the dirt as another gave him an orange fluid. Calm down. It wasn't immediately clear whether those killed had been physically crushed, suffocated, or suffered a fatal heart attack in the crowds. Soldiers covered several corpses in white cloths to hide them from view. Other troops stood atop concrete barriers or shipping containers, trying to calm the crowd. Gunshots occasionally rang out. Amir Khan Montagi, chief of the Taliban's guidance counselor, criticized Americans over the situation at the airport in an audio clip posted online Sunday. 
He described the U.S.'s actions as tyranny, even as it is Taliban fighters who have beaten and shot at those trying to access the airport over the last week. All Afghanistan is secure, but the airport, which is managed by the Americans, has anarchy, he said. The U.S. should not defame itself, should not embarrass itself to the world, and should not give this mentality to our people that the Taliban are a kind of enemy. Speaking to an Iranian state television channel late Saturday night in a video call, Taliban spokesman Mohammed Niam also blamed the deaths at the airport on the Americans in what quickly became a combative interview. The Americans announced that we should take you to America with us, and people gathered at Kabul airport, Niam said. If it was announced right now in any country in the world, would people not go? The host on Iranian state TV, which long has criticized America since the 1979 Islamic Revolution, quickly said, it won't happen in Iran. Niham responded, be sure this will happen anywhere. Thousands rushed the airport last Monday in chaos that saw the U.S. try to clear off the runway with low-flying attack helicopters. Several Afghans plunged to their deaths while hanging off the side of a U.S. military cargo plane. It has been difficult to know the full scale of the deaths and injuries from the chaos. Abdullah Abdullah, a senior official in the ousted government, tweeted that he and ex-president Hamid Karzai met Saturday with the Taliban's acting governor for Kabul, who assured us that he would do everything possible for the security of the people of the city. Well, as chaos continues in Kabul and Afghanistan, we're having to say goodbye for this edition of Audio Information Network of Colorado Military News. Hoping by my next recording next week, things will clear up a little bit, and we'll see what direction we're all going into. Take care of yourselves, be kind, and I'll talk to you next time. This is the Audio Information Network of Colorado. Caring Senior Service prevents common dementia behaviors and caregiver strategies, speech problems. Seniors with dementia exhibit behaviors that may seem confusing or inexplicable. However, these behaviors are often overlooked as symptoms of dementia because they vary from person to person. Problems with communication can be stressful for both the person with dementia and the caregiver. It can be difficult to respond to someone who may not be able to fully communicate. Caregivers should be patient, try to decipher what they can, and gently attempt to get the person to expand on what they are trying to communicate. Be patient, supportive, and understanding. They may use strategies like circumlocation or using several words to describe the word that they couldn't recall, and you should actively listen and try to understand what they are saying. 
Refrain from correcting a person with dementia on speech or linguistic faults. Caring Senior Service provides care within an hour. Call them at 1-800 Senior Care. That is 1-800-736-4672.